And the scripture is Luke 2, beginning at the 8th verse, verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, uh, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a little different the second time around. It's actually, um, it's actually a little harder for me. I don't um, normally do this, but the sermon that I, I had prepared to preach this morning, I, I have put aside. Um, I kind of wrestled with it last night and didn't really sleep well on it. And, and just um, this morning, was, it was clear to me that, that God told me to put the sermon that I was going to preach aside. And, and so that message is not what you're going to hear this morning, at least not the way that um, I was going to bring it. Obviously, I've already shared this at one service, so where it's a little bit harder for me is that I've been able to put my thoughts together a little bit more, and I'm trying to not simply just replicate what I said, but just kind of be in that same space. The reason why I'm not preaching the sermon that um, I had prepared uh, is I'm still reeling for what happened on Friday. Um, I... And again, this isn't just a, my decision. I really felt strongly the spirit of God telling me to put the message aside, which honestly is not a comfortable thing. Uh, and I, what I'm going to do, which, is I don't, which preachers don't normally do, is I'm going to tell you the point of what the sermon I was going to preach that I'll hope maybe you'll come out now. Normally we don't, wait, we don't tell you until the end, so that way you pay attention. Um, um, that's the theory anyway. Um, The sermon title says a living nativity, and the essence of what I was going to try to talk about um, from the picture in Luke is that the nativity is one of the more powerful images that we have of the Christmas story. It's so powerful that for many of us, we like have it scripted in our mind of what it's supposed to look like. But if we actually engage the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew, we tend to find that our picture is picture perfect. It's beautiful, it's clean, it's neat and tidy, but it's not the Gospel. And in essence, what I was going to say or, or try to convey to you through taking you through the story is this idea that if we 
choose to hold on to this nativity that we create in our minds, that we put in our homes and our sanctuaries, we miss the true story, the story that we need. It's, it's safer that way, but it's not as healing or as satisfying. And I realized that the essence of that message would be the very thing that I would be doing if I preached the message that I had prepared. What happened on Friday? I, I, I don't, I, there aren't words. I mean, it's not like the, something hasn't happened before. I don't know what it is for me and, and maybe for you that somehow this has struck a chord in a different way. Other people have experienced violence like this. There have been horrific things. We've had shootings before. We've had other types of tragedies and disasters. I don't know. I don't know if maybe the reason why this strikes a chord is because the majority of the victims were children, young children, first graders now that we know. I don't know if, if maybe part of the reason why it strikes a chord differently for me is that watching it unfold, the pictures, the stories, and even seeing our own president, wherever you fall with him, barely able to hold it together. I mean, several times catching himself, and I just was very, very moved by that. I don't know if it's, again, just seeing people trying so desperately, and I don't know if it's a blessing or if it's a curse in our media. I don't know if it's a good thing that they're there or not, or a bad thing that they're there, trying to come up with answers. And, I, and it's still, to this, day, this morning, still trying to come up with answers to, to questions I don't believe there are answers to. This is horrific. It's devastating. And I, and I find the more that people are talking, <laughs> the more that I, I, I just come to that place that there are no answers. The more that we try to come up with answers, the more that we try to come up with questions that will fit, we're just filling space. I, uh, and, and to happen this now, at Christmas time. I can't imagine. I don't know how many of you put yourself in that place. What is my counterpart saying in that community this morning? What do you say? What, what are the parents, the teachers, the staff saying? There is one thing, though, that, I, that has struck me that I... I want to impart to you. I'm very sensitive about this because I think it's still so raw. It's only been a couple of days that it's, we, again, we have this tendency in the face of what we can't explain and can't understand to want to come make it fit. That what I want to say, I, 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 want, to, I want to try to couch that I'm, I'm not trying to do that, but I feel compelled it's something that needs to be pointed to because it kind of relates to that temptation. In the midst of the, the, of the aftermath of this, we are pointing to things, but I think that one of the things that we can point to, and maybe it's the hardest thing to point to, but it's the one thing that we can point to, it's not an answer, it's just a reality, is that this reveals in a powerful way for us yet again how broken our lives are, how broken our world is, that our world, our lives are not the way they're supposed to be. 
The church word for this, and it's, as I've said to you before, often falls out of fashion, is this displays the reality of sin. That, that things are broken. We're broken. That as much as we try to live otherwise, it's not right. And, and I say this to you pastorally. I say this to you not... I say this... I point this out because what I'm seeing right now is in the midst of this because we want so desperately to have answers that we're trying to come up with things that'll fit. And I'm not, I very rarely use this pulpit. I, I try not to use it at all for political or social platforms unless they come legitimately out of the scriptures, meaning the scriptures we're looking at speak to something. I, I believe that's the role of preaching. That's the role as a pastor. So if you hear me on this, it's not that I'm saying that we don't speak to what's happening politically or socially, but we don't use this as a means to an agenda. We use it as scripture speaks into those things. And I tend to find that when I trust that God has a way of speaking into the contemporary things that we're going through. So what I'm about to say, I, I'm, I'm concerned that some of you might hear as being politically or socially charged. And I want you to hear before I say it, I'm not taking a position on the conversation either side. I'm taking a position on what I think we're missing. In the midst of us, our desire to try to come up with answers, in the midst of our desire to try to make sense of all this, which, as I said, I don't think we can. Beloved, it's about more than mental illness. It's about more than gun control. And I'm not giving you a position on either one of those things. It's about more than the things that we're talking about. It's bigger than that. It's about the reality of sin in our lives and in our world. It's about the reality that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And yes, we're going to have to come up with how do we do things differently and where do we go from here. That's all valid. But in the midst of it, I guess what I'm concerned about pastorally is that we just have this tendency in the midst of what we don't want to look at, what we don't want to face, what we can't understand, to try to make it smaller, to try to make it manageable. And we do that at the expense of missing the big picture. And when we try to make things manageable and smaller, it doesn't solve our problems. It only creates bigger problems. We have to sit as people of faith in the darkness of this. We have to sit in the darkness of this. And our tendency is to want to move on. Our tendency is to want to make it an, an anomaly. It's not an anomaly. It's not an anomaly. Someone needs to say that out loud. It's not an anomaly. This is not an isolated thing that's happened. Trying to make this smaller only leads to more problems. And let me give you a personal example. An example that was pointed to me in the midst of the different reporting on the scene. Probably the, there was a lot of unhelpful information and a lot of unhelpful comments. A lot of good, powerful things too. But for me, there was this moment when someone was interviewed and they reflected and it, and it struck a chord for me that in the midst of seeing this, we, we immediately think of the families. We think, gosh, what they're going through. But actually before that, if we're honest, what we think is, thank God that wasn't me. Thank God that wasn't me. And then we think, oh, how horrible it must be. What are they going through? But we think, thank God it wasn't me. And when you say that, I did it. When you say that out loud, when you pray that, how can you not, at the same time as you feel relief, not feel guilt and shame? Thank God it wasn't me. And in one sense, there's a, a truth in that. It didn't happen to us. But in another sense, do you see what I'm saying? It's how we make it smaller. Thank God that wasn't me. 
That may not have been our circumstance, but we live in the same broken world. We live in the same world that's not the way that it's supposed to be. And when we say, thank God it wasn't me, we act as though, okay, well, I'm gonna, that's away from me. It's just as close as to us as it was to them. It could have easily as happened here as it happened there. We need to say that out loud. We need to hear that out loud. And we need to stop trying to find particular things about the person who did it or what was happening at the school or what happened there because all that does is that takes us away from the bigger issue, which is we are broken. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. We have to face the darkness. You know, for me, even when I said, thank God it, thank God it wasn't me, it wasn't my kids. My guilt and shame went beyond just the fact that, that I went there for this fam, the families in Connecticut, but what it also opened up for me, what God opened up for me is, this happens every day, and we don't even notice. We don't even notice. We don't even notice. And so when we say, thank God it wasn't me, there's even more weight to that, of, there's more, more burden to that because of the reality that we only notice that. We should be praying, thank God, every day of our lives because it's not an anomaly. We have to face the darkness. I know I'm taking you into a really dark place right now. But we have to face the darkness if we want to face the light. That was the, my point of my sermon. We come to church and we want the picture-perfect Photoshop nativity. We want it beautiful. We want it clean and tidy. We want that because that's, we have so much realism out in the world. We want to come here to escape. This isn't the place to escape. This is the place to get real. That's the story that we celebrate. And I know for some of you, I'm in the same place. How do we celebrate Christmas? How do we celebrate Christmas in the midst of this? And maybe, maybe you didn't go to this place, but I did, but I actually said out loud, why did this have to happen so close to Christmas? As if it would be okay if it happened some other time. It's never okay. But the fact that I could say that, the fact that I could think that, why did this have to happen so close to Christmas, again, begs the question, what am I celebrating at Christmas? What is Christmas really about? Do I understand what we're celebrating or just as much as I complain or I preach as you do, am I just as caught up in all the wrong things about Christmas? You know, we are just so good at arguing about the commercialization of Christmas. And yet, as I was going to say to you, as I realized that God was saying to me <laughs> in the midst of writing this sermon, as good as we are at talking about how commercialized Christmas is, how, you know, we've lost the reason for the season, we're just as good as sanitizing our own story. We're just as good as painting the picture the way that we want to see it, rather than the way that it really is. And hear me carefully on this. I am not, because I, <laughs> thank God I don't have to give an answer but maybe in the midst of this, not a reason for it, but maybe in the midst of it, this, this is something that is stripping away all the things that we make Christmas. Maybe this is something that in the midst of it that's taking us beyond our frustration and our fretting about a commercial Christmas or a sanitized nativity. Maybe this is really taking us to the heart of asking ourselves, what is Christmas all about? And beloved, for me in the midst of that question, for me in the midst of this story, Christmas is about, if nothing else, God intentionally showing up where we least expect him to be. 
God intentionally showing up where we least expect him to be. He enters into our worlds. If you look at this story, and I had all kinds of really cool stuff, really interesting, really great that I could point to you in this story. I'm not going to do it. Because the sum of it is, if you look at this, God enters our world slightly off-center. He enters our world away from the focal point of where we direct all of our focus and our attention. And I think, especially in light of this tragedy that's before us, this tragedy that's not unique, that's not an anomaly, part of why God does that, why does God come into our world and into our lives slightly off-center, not where we focus our time and attention, is God is trying to say yet again in a more powerful way that our lives are just not good enough. Our world is not the way that it's supposed to be. The Lord is revealing to us at Christmas time something that deep down we sense already, but we are terrified to admit, even to ourselves, that this life that we work so hard to manage, that these lives that we've so carefully created are bigger, bigger than we realize. Bigger than we realize. That we are, as much as we try to make ourselves safe and secure and stable, we are much more vulnerable and fragile than we want to confess. And that ultimately, there are questions that we don't have answers for. That's why we want to move on. That's why we want to see a pretty nativity. That's why Christmas is more about the lights and the tinsel than it is about the manger. Because we don't want to go there. And yet Christmas is about a God who intentionally comes where we least expect. He comes to the very place that we don't want to go, yet it's the very place in which we live. And this God comes and he said it to Mary and he said it to Joseph and he said it to the shepherds. He says the same thing right at the start when he comes to the very place that we don't want to go. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I need to hear that today. I'm afraid. I'm afraid for my kids. I'm afraid for my community. I'm afraid for my nation. I'm afraid for my species. I need a God who intentionally comes where I least expect, not the place that I make all neat and nice. I need him to come to the place that I don't want him to see, the place that I don't want to go, and I need him to come and say, don't be afraid. If you're not there, it only takes a day like this past Friday. If you're not there, it only takes a day like this past Friday. For all the ways we create and structure and manage, it only takes a day. It only takes, what was it, how many minutes this Friday to basically help us to realize it's an illusion. It only takes a few moments for us to see and experience and have it this close, the chaos of this world. The pain of this world, that's how close it is. It only takes a few minutes in the midst of all the different ways in which we negotiate and navigate and justify and rationalize to realize how precious the time we have is. How precious are the relationships that we have. I think the president was right on in saying, and I, and I was thinking it before he said it, the only response, if anything, on our own terms we can come to in the midst of this is to grab those we love all the tighter.
our own kids, our own loved ones, the people in our own community. It doesn't take much, despite all of our mental gymnastics, our incredible thinking, our knowledge, to realize how many questions we really don't have answers to. The gift of Christmas, what Christmas is all about, is in the midst of that dark place, in the midst of that place that we don't want to go, in the midst of that reality that can come crashing down. God breaks through this perfect yet false image that we often project about our lives. He comes into that place that is the illusion of control. We are the man behind the curtain of our lives. He comes in the countless ways that we try to pretend it's all good. And this weekend, we have right in front of us, we can't look away, the living proof, it's not all good. It's not all good. And God comes in the midst of that and says, don't be afraid. And I think, despite my foolishness of saying, how could this happen at Christmas, as if it could be acceptable at any time of year, I think in the midst of that stupidity, I think it's, a, it's profound that it's happening now because it's, you know what we do with our lives? We do at Christmas more than any other time. We work so hard to try to make this the most wonderful time of the year. We try so hard to manage and control this that we, we don't have time for people who can't make merry like we do at Christmas. We don't have the ability to enter into a blue Christmas. We only want a white one. And the God that we worship did not come into a white Christmas. He came into a blue world. He came into the flesh and blood of our world. That's why engaging the living nativity is so meaningful. It's why it's so much more important than this image that we create in our minds, this photoshopped Christmas that we have. Because God didn't come into a touchy, feel-good picture. God, this is what Christmas is all about. God entered into the cold, hard reality of our lives. He came to earth in the midst of our chaos. He came to the fringe places of our lives. He came into the spaces and places that we don't want to talk about, that don't make sense. He came to those places and spaces that defy being tidied up. He came to us, people who we like to think we're in the middle, we're the middle class, we're the moderates, we're the center. He comes to us, those of us who live, all of us on the fringe, the fringe of reality, those of us who may not put it this way, but we really don't belong. We don't feel like we fit. He comes to us and says, don't be afraid. And if you're hearing this right now and you're like, My, I'm, I'm, I'm stable, I'm good, let me again point you to what's happened on Friday. One example of many, not an anomaly, that the reality is we often think that our stability, our security in life doesn't fluctuate much. But I'm here to tell you, and this is what Friday shows us in the most powerful of ways, that those places, those people that we think are on the outside, those places that we think are on the fringe aren't as fixed as we like to think they are. Being rich or poor, healthy or struggling, are conditions that can change in a moment. That is the shock and awe of Friday. That is, for me, one of the constant lessons I learn as a pastor. Do you want to know how quickly your place, your position can change like this? Then sit down, talk to an addict whose life hasn't always come from a bottle. If you want to know how quickly things can change, then sit and listen to someone who lives on the street who we call homeless. Think about that term homeless and come to realize this person actually one time had a home. 
that however we create it, they haven't all their lives lived on the street or slept under a, on a bus bench. If you want to know how quickly our lives can change, how, how we can quickly be on the fringe, that we can be on the outside, my God, think of those families. Think of those families. Think of, and I know I speak to some of you in this room, you've walked through this. You see the people that you love and you say goodbye having no idea that you're not going to get to say it again. Our lives are precious. They're fragile and they're vulnerable. And Jesus comes into not our false security and our comforts. Jesus comes into our vulnerability and says, don't be afraid. Beloved, if we don't face this, if we don't hear this, if we don't receive this, we lose Christmas. We forfeit the, the reason for the season. If we try to gloss over or gift away, and that's what we do, we gift away the messy imperfections of our lives, we lose Christmas. It's not about being naughty or nice with Santa. That's, again, us trying to give simple answers to bigger problems. It's not about being naughty or nice with Santa. It's about getting real with Jesus. It's about facing the pain of our lives, facing our fears. It's about confessing our needs. It's about admitting that we have questions that we don't have answers for. We are living in times where atheism is on the rise. People who don't believe in God. Sidebar. I find that fascinating. Because, and maybe I've said this to you before in another context, so if I'm repeating myself, I apologize. I find it fascinating that atheism is on the rise because atheism does not originally mean not believing in God. The original meaning of atheism, for those of us who don't know, is not believing in the right God. The Romans called the first Christians atheists because they didn't believe in the right God. They believed in that little Christ. My point is, for thousands of years, humanity has always believed in gods or a God. But suddenly we have crossed the threshold where we actually have the conviction or arrogance, you might call it, to redefine the very meaning of the word and to be the first time in our generation of species to actually declare that God doesn't exist at all. And what I'm confessing to you in saying this is, as a pastor, I don't get it. As a person, I don't get it. I don't get it. Because in the midst of what I see on Friday, which is, again, not an anomaly, when I confront those kind of questions, I can't deal with the answer being, it doesn't make any sense that there is no answer. If there is no God, and yet there are questions we can't answer, that fundamentally means there are no answers. And beloved, what I'm saying to you is, and this is like a foundational reason why I believe in God in the first place, is if there are no answers, then why the questions? Why the questions? If the questions exist, the answers have to exist. And I might not have them, but I have to believe that there is a God who does. What's the point? Where's the hope? What's the reason if there is no answer? There have to be answers. 
And because there have to be answers, there has to be a God. Sometimes in the midst of situations like this, and I've had conversations, as you can tell, I encounter people who designate themselves as agnostics. They believe, okay, there's a God, but God is distant. God is an absentee landlord. And again, I can kind of at least gravitate there a little bit more, but again, I struggle. I struggle because if you believe that God put everything in motion but just kind of left and God is distant, then ultimately what you're saying is the answers are within ourselves. It doesn't work. I, we, I haven't lived that long, but I know history. I love history. And in all the time we've existed as a species, for all the advancements that we have, we still come back to the same fundamental questions that we can't answer yet. Friday is not an anomaly. How many lives have been lost? How many tragedies have we experienced? How many mindless, inconceivable, horrific things could we think of that we've ever learned about? They pile on and on and on, and yet no one seems to have an answer to how to stop it. Because there is no answer that we can come up with. And so again, I have to believe that if there is a God, God doesn't say, hey, figure it out for yourself. Because we've been trying really hard. And we don't seem to be coming up with anything. No, I believe that Christmas is fundamentally in the midst of those who would say that God is dead or that there is no God. And to those who would say that God is distant, Christmas declares the exact opposite. Christmas declares that we have the truth of an answer. There is truth. There is an answer. And the best news of all is that this God doesn't send it by fax or text. This God comes in the flesh to be the answer, to be the truth. That there is a love that is greater, that, is, that, that conquers all things. It's beyond us, but this God brings it to us. Beloved, the birth of Jesus Christ is God coming to dwell in, the, in our midst, to join us in our struggle, to meet us in our questions. Christmas is a flesh and blood denial of the belief that we worship a distant God. It is a flesh and blood denial of anyone would say, who would say that we worship a God who's afraid of getting his hands dirty. The first word God says when he comes to us is do not be afraid because we worship a God who is not afraid of our mess. We worship a God who is not afraid of our chaos. Christmas is good news because it's the story of a God who comes to be with messy people. It's the story of a God who comes to be born, to live and die in and for our messy world. You know what really got me? Again, back to that thought. Why at Christmas? I, I, I uh, had a slip when Sophia came up and I said we were reading from Matthew because my mind's been actually on the Gospel of Matthew rather than on the Gospel of Luke, which was our text today. And the reason for that is there's this part in Matthew that you never hear preached at church, especially at Christmas time. You know what part I'm talking about? It's <laughs> Go and read in Matthew chapter 2. You're not going to like it, but you're going to read it differently in light of Friday. You're going to read in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2 that it's not the first time that a madman slaughtered innocent children. You're going to read it's not the first time that we've wished, witnessed something unspeakable and horrific. And what's, what gets me is that Jesus, Jesus was born into that. That Joseph and Mary know what it's like to be a parent grabbing your children and trying to get out before your child gets slaughtered. 
And you know where you might go in this? You know where you might go? And is, well, they didn't, they, I read that story, and maybe part of the reason why we don't tell it in church is we're embarrassed because Joseph and Mary and Jesus get out. And all the kids don't. Other kids don't. But you know what's profound about that for me? For, me, for us and for the people living in Connecticut, remember when I talked before, what happens in that moment when you say, thank God it wasn't me, and then all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, how can I think that? Jesus knows what it's like to live with the burden of having being one who survived. You think Jesus didn't grow up all his life and not know? Do you think that that was on Jesus' mind when, again, he wasn't avoiding death, but he was death in his own timing. He willingly went to the cross. He wasn't sacrificed by a madman, but willingly went to the cross. Beloved, we worship a God who intentionally comes into our mess. Jesus has come into our mess, even a mess as despicable and as chaotic as what we experienced on Friday. That's what Christmas is about, a God who is not distant a God who knows the shame of survival. A God who knows the sting of death. A God who knows the questions that we can't answer. And I want you to hear this morning, wherever you are in the midst of this, I want you to hear it because I need to hear it. So maybe I'm not preaching. Maybe I'm processing. Maybe they're the same thing. I don't know. I want you to hear this not as a distant story. I don't want you to hear this as a picture postcard. I want you to hear this morning that Christmas is the story of a God who's willing to come into your mess, your life, your chaos, your tragedy, whatever you bring this morning. And maybe you're not bringing anything this morning. Maybe it's going to come down the road. You remember that Christmas is about a God who is willingly, intentionally born into our mess. No matter how messed it up it might be, no matter how bad it gets, in many ways, the fact that it's a mess, the fact that it's chaos is the very signature of this God. It's a sign, it's a dead giveaway that it's Jesus. That's what the angels declare to the shepherds. That's what brings the shepherds to their knees. These shepherds whose names we don't know, this God says, don't be afraid because as bad as it gets, I'm there. Glory to God in the highest and peace to all, on earth to, to all men. As bad as it gets, I'm there. We celebrate Christmas and we say that one of the names of God is Emmanuel, God with us. Well, beloved, here this morning in the personal circumstances of your own life, your family, our community, our nation, our world, that our God with us is also our God for us. Christmas. Christmas reminds us that even though we can't get to God, there are limits to our answers, God comes to where we are. Christmas is this powerful reminder that if God shows up in the most unlikely of places, then we ought to be looking for God in the most unlikely of places. There's a reason, and I want to honor and respect it, that in the midst of what we've seen on Friday, that people ask, where is God in the midst of this? But beloved, it's our responsibility and we can't say it if we can't see it to point to God in the very place that we expect not to find him. That's the Christmas story. God is the, in the most unlikely of places, not in the lovely places. And so maybe we ought to do Christmas a little differently because we decorate Christmas and think that Jesus is going to come in the lights, in the gifts and in the tinsel. Jesus comes the first time and every time into the most unlikely places of our lives. 
The parts of our house that we clean up for company by stuffing into the closet or the garage. That's where Christ comes. And why that is so important is because when we understand that God comes in the most unlikely of places, the places that we're afraid to go, that's when we realize that God can turn what is unlikely into something lovely. You can't have redemption. You can't have reconciliation. You can't experience resurrection unless you realize how dark it is. God comes. He comes not so much in the lovely, but in the unlikely. God comes when we're sitting in a room waiting to find out what our diagnosis is going to be. God comes in those moments when we're in an empty house because that person that we love isn't there and we feel it profoundly. God comes in those moments when once again we have tried to support and hold someone up who is destroying themselves and we're wondering, are they going to survive the night? God comes. God comes when everything in our life Everything we've dreamed for has suddenly come crashing down and we don't know which way is up. God comes in the most unlikely of places. So, beloved, oh, come, let us behold him. Come and let us behold him. Let us behold him beyond the neat and tidy nativity. Let us come and behold him beyond the commercialization of Christmas. Let us come and behold him beyond all the decorations, all the things that we make Christmas. Let us come and behold Christ the Lord, God with us and for us. That's what Christmas is all about. Will you pray with me? Our gracious God, we are speechless, speechless in our anger. We're heartbroken before this loss. We're guilty, we're ashamed that we're just noticing that we think this is an exception, that we run, we hide from just how messed up this world is. We are. God, we've witnessed the unimaginable. We have witnessed the unthinkable and we are horrified. We don't want to look. We don't want to talk about it. We've looked upon the face of evil and we are overwhelmed by the darkness and we are turning on as many lights as we can and it's not enough. Father God, more than ever we need, we look to you. We need the light that's coming into the world. We need your light that's coming that the darkness cannot overcome. And so, Lord, we ask, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come be with those who've lost loved ones in Connecticut. Come be with the mothers and fathers lost their children. 
Come and be with the brothers and sisters who've lost their siblings. Come and be with the families that are fractured, that have empty chairs at their tables. God, come. Come, for there are no words that we can offer. Though we pray to you, Lord, there are no words we can offer that will hold their grief. We have no answers, Lord. We confess that. We have no answers that will fill that void in their lives. And so, God, to you alone we look, to you alone we look, that you will be as present to them as the weight of their loss, that you will be as loud in their lives as the cry of their suffering. God, hold them up. Hold them together. Lord, give strength. Give strength and wisdom to the first responders. Even days later, how do you process? How do you go back to your own life when you see, when you experience, when you hear what they did. Be with the administrators, the officers, the investigators. Be with the entire support system, that community, Lord, in the midst of this tragedy. In the midst of going back to school, going back to anything tomorrow. Lord, remember especially the forgotten ones who have no direct care, the people who will always fall through the cracks. And God, we ask you beyond that small community to remember the invisible pains, the empty spaces for each person in this, in this nation, in this world. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come again, come anew, come for the first time, be present. God, be Emmanuel, God with us and for us. Be our light, be our love. Enter into our mess and redeem, reconcile and resurrect every state in our nation, every country in this world, every corner of this universe, Lord. Come, redeem, reconcile, and resurrect this fragile state that we call life. We look to you, for there's nowhere else to go. There's no other place where we will find an answer. We look to you, and again, ask that you would come. We ask you to come in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.